So I've been talking a lot about execution in time and in space and how Hest does that. Uh, I've been using this metaphor of, you know, a kid on a water slide as a way of describing, you know, you have these edges that are sort of, you know, curving through space, however you've drawn them, and then you can have a point that travels along that edge. And when that point arrives at the end of the edge, there's another you know, anchor point that that edge is connected to. And that anchor point represents some kind of transformation that is going to apply to the data point that comes to it. And so your data point traveling along the edge is a value. And that anchor point that the edge terminates at is a, is a function that that, that value will be um, invoking or the function will be invoked with that value, depending on, you know, what, uh, what programming paradigm you're most comfortable with. That is part of a programming model, but it does not make a full programming model. There's there's a lot more that is needed to get to a really robust sense of how to build software than than just those little primitive pieces. But those primitive pieces are 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 so fundamental that it's I think it's worth having spent a bit of time just kind of playing around with some of the consequences of of them working the way that they do in Hest, which is, you know, quite different. So I'm going to try and talk about some of the other aspects of the programming model that should hopefully give you a bit of a sense of what it is like to actually use Hest to build software. Now, so far, everything that we've talked about is stuff that I have prototyped, stuff that is built, stuff that works, stuff that I've played with. And I've built a few toy programs in Hest so far. I've built Factorial, of course. Uh, I've built uh, a couple of other little toy things, but nothing, nothing substantial, nothing that, um, you know, nothing that's non-trivial, let's say. And the reason that I haven't built anything non-trivial yet is that the current prototypes for Hest don't have uh, any way at all to do abstraction, and that's something that um, I, I'm chasing currently the the current set of prototypes that i'm building are chasing the goal of a way of doing abstraction within hest that sort of fits the other things about hest that are different and interesting and uh, so i'll explain what that is and uh, so now we're into the realm of speculative stuff where this is me sort of thinking out loud about how i would like to do this and so i may say that things work a certain way if i do that that is a, a sort of a, a phrasing error what i would mean by that is that uh, this is how I would like them to work. And so, of course, as I actually go from thinking about this into building it out, I might learn that it doesn't work the way I imagined, or I might learn that it does work, but that there's another way that it could work differently that would be better. Um, So there's a lot of this that is still very much up in the air. And that hopefully at some point I will come back to and say, hey, I tried this and here's what it was like. So abstraction because Hest is graphical, right? There's a big canvas. That's where all your code lives. Um, that's where all your UI for whatever you're coding is going to go. And so I want a way of doing abstraction that really leans into those primitives, the graphic primitives of the point and the, and the line, the programming primitives of the points that are either a value or a function and the edges that are conveying values to functions. And so... I want something where you're never doing abstraction in a way that makes the thing that has been abstracted, you know, materially disconnected from the things that are referencing it. So an example of that is, 
you know, if, if I've abstracted some function that's purpose is to take in some input that is numeric and to return the square or to output the square of that number, um, that's something that I'm going to be using all over the place, perhaps, right? Like I might want this, this, you know, and, and you can imagine something more non-trivial, like maybe it does a mapping, right? Like it, you know, it takes in some value in some known range and it outputs some value in some other defined range. And so you'd want to be able to specify what's the incoming value and its range and what's the desired range that comes back out. And maybe you want some nice, you know, user interface to control that or something like that. Um, you know, you might want it to have a curve editor or some sliders or something something like that. Uh, you might be using this all over the place in your program. And there are a whole bunch of ways that this can go super bad. And pretty much every visual programming environment that I've seen so far gets this wrong. It gets this wrong because it violates one of Ted Nelson's sort of principles for hypermedia, which is that you want to have connections be visible you want to see the connections you want to have links and you want those links to be seen why does that matter and why you know why do the other programming environments get this wrong and i say i don't mean to say that they are wrong and that they are bad i just mean to say that it would be wrong to do it that way that other environments do it for hest so for something like max msp or pure data or nodes or quartz composer one of those kind of traditional node and wire programming environments the way that they do abstraction when they do abstraction is that you make some kind of a sub patch or some kind of, you know, it's a it's a separate program. It has inputs and outputs uh, like your main program does. And in your main program, you add a node and that node is the name of your sub patch or your your abstraction, whatever it is. And it will have a number of import ports at the top and output ports at the bottom and you wire it up in your program. And then when execution happens, you know, the data flows in and, and is handled by that sub patch and flows back out. And you can make as many instances of that sub patch as you want. Um, and behind the scenes, it's just like a function or a subroutine or something like that. There's a single canonical definition of that thing and then in all the places it's used it's it's it looks like a node or if you get into the fancier things in max maybe you have a little window a uh, little portal into the the contents of that sub patch so in your sub patch you can create some interactivity or some some visualization or something like that and then any consumer of your sub patch any user of it any place where it is being referenced will show that little window into that internal world and then that requires you to do things like, say, um, like do some sort of uh, like hygienic macro style stuff where you want each instance of that to have its own separate representation in memory so that the state that each of them has won't pollute the other ones. Or maybe you do want the state to be shared so that if you, you know, you click a button in one instance of a sub patch, the light comes on in all the instances of the sub patch, that kind of thing. So. With Hest, that doesn't really work because you need to be able to see the kid flowing down the water slide. Always. Everywhere. All the programming you're doing has to happen in space and in time. And the only way to make that work is if there's some way to make that space and time continuous. And so the, the easiest way to think about that is 
that there is no abstraction that happens by creating a separate space and a separate sense of time and things are magically teleported in and out of that separate space. You know, you don't have like a little pocket dimension and you teleport into that pocket dimension, do some stuff and teleport back out because that in the most naive way that you were to do that, that would break the debugging and programming experience that I want to have where you are jumping back and forward in time and following individual pieces of data as they're flowing through the program or, you know, following a, a, a collection of data. Because remember, um, 3D programs, which are, which are the one of the big inspirations for Hast, you have very, very precise control over huge data sets. And you are working with that huge data set at the individual datum level, but also at the, at the level of aggregations or at the level of, of collections. Uh, and those aggregations might be very dynamic. It might not be like, oh, I have these 10 points that I'm selected and I'm manipulating. It might be, I have this object in space and anything that goes near that object is transformed in a certain way. Like it might, you know, uh, I have this box and the box has, a, has some warping applied to it. And so as my model moves through that box, the vertices that are inside that box are distorted in a way that I've controlled. And so it's, it's something where you have many, many, many different ways of controlling things at all sorts of different scales. And so in Hest, um, when you have some kind of a pocket dimension subpatcher approach where you have, you know, inlets and outlets, your kid is passing through a portal and they're going to get teleported from one spot to another spot. That's a problem. Uh, but the other problem is you want to be able to kind of see all of those pockets at the same time, or at least you want to be able to see multiple of those pockets at the same time. And you want to be able to see the data uh, flowing in and out of those pockets all at the same time. And, um, and there might be more things than that, even that you want to do with it. And so one of the principles that I'm, I'm holding myself to, and we'll see like what, like I said, we're in speculation territory now. Um, one of the things that I, I really want to try and do is that any time that there is data flowing from anything to anything, there is an edge that that data is flowing along and you can follow the data on that edge and following it is, is very continuous and very fluid and there's not going to be jumping around and there's not going to be this sort of feeling of things getting scattered around in a, in a weird kind of way. So one of the things that I'm thinking of doing is that anytime you might have something where there are two disconnected places that need to be connected, where in Max you might have something like a send and receive, where you have a little, you know, a, a node that data flows into, and then a separate node somewhere else that is not connected with a wire that that data teleports to and flows out of. Anytime you have something like that in Hest, there would be what I call a virtual edge between those things. And the virtual edge is basically anytime you can see those two things on screen at the same time, you can, if you so desire, see an edge between those things. And this is a, this may or may not be a first class edge. And by first class edge, I mean an edge that you have drawn with your art tools that you control exactly, you know, all of its control points and its Bezier curving and its, the, the way that it is routed through your program, because one of the things 
that people complain about when they complain about visual programming is having to draw where all of their edges go. And so it's this sort of this double edged sort of, well, I don't want a giant rat's nest of wires everywhere, but then I also don't want to have to be responsible for drawing all of my edges and laying them out neatly so that they don't crisscross. And, and my answer to that is, um, art tools make it good to lay out your edges manually that's what art tools are for they've cracked this nut very well they have very very nice tools for laying out edges in fact laying out edges is something that you can do such a good job of if you have good tooling that people have made video games where the whole point of the video game is to use an interface for laying out edges i'm thinking of factorio i'm thinking of mini metro Lots of games are are about laying out edges. (laughs) So that's something you can do a very good job of. And so that's going to be a requirement for programming Hest is you're going to be laying out your edges manually. So a first class edge is an edge that you have manually laid out. You have positioned where it is in space. So a virtual edge may not be laid out manually. It may be only visible when there is data flowing along it and when you are observing that data and are interested in following the path of that data. And otherwise, that edge may not need to be visible. That edge may just not be shown, or it might be shown in a different way that de-emphasizes it. Perhaps you see the edge, you know, coming out of the source point that it is anchored to, whatever you know, previous function, and then uh, and then the edge just fades out, and you don't see the middle part, and then it you know fades back in at the other side. And the only time you would see that exact edge where it is, is um, when you are following a point along that edge. That might be one way to go, is to have this notion of virtual edges. And that would also allow you to do things like open up two different viewports into your scene. Like I talked about earlier, Hest can have that 3D modeling style, you know, four by four quadrant viewport, where if you have a point that is leaving a node on one viewport, and it's going to arrive at a, at, a, at a node on another viewport that you would just have a virtual edge that spans those two viewports. And as you move or pan one of the viewports, that edge dynamically moves to you know, preserve that, that connection. And that would also apply to things like, let's say you have, um, like at, in the editing tool in Hest, there's a little sidebar with properties for whatever you have selected. And those properties contain metadata or annotations or what have you about the things that you select in your main viewport. And so it would be sort of against the spirit of Hest, which is that all connections exist. They are real connections. All uh, changes that happen are by conveyance of data. Um, It would be against that spirit if changing values in the sidebar uh, led to changes in the main canvas in the main program and that those changes weren't in some way viewable as the conveyance of data from the thing in the side to the thing in the canvas. And so it might be that you'd need a virtual edge in order to uh, view that if you were interested in viewing that. And this opens up all sorts of other cans of worms. Like I talk about time advancing when you control it you have your big time slider and you slide it up and down to control execution forward and backward where does that time come from where is it that that notion of hey time is advancing now and things are moving what drives that and how is that to be made visible because like I, you know, I, I, I trash Haskell by saying it, it tries to uh, do away with this notion of time. 
in in some cases. And yet, you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be a pile of sand under your heat sink that has a notion of time that is doing all of these calculations. And so rather than trying to obscure that execution happens in time, I'm trying to embrace that. But that modeling of time itself is is something that um, could, in theory, need to be made explicit and made visual and made um, controllable and participatory. And so those are those are um, some questions that I that I have to kind of struggle with when I get into this notion of virtual edges. When I start thinking about what's a way of connecting to otherwise separated spaces, um, you know, by showing the connections when they're relevant and by hiding them when they're not, it kind of opens up like what are well, what are all these other places where there is data um, changing hands or data being changed that uh, that is sort of a requirement of the HEST programming model, but that might not be embeddable or representable within the HEST programming model. And so that might that might end up being the kind of thing where I just, you know, have to say, well, sorry, um, there has to be a limit drawn somewhere. And this is that limit. And uh, the, the principle about, you know, visualizing everything and showing all the connections that Ted Nelson desires only applies within the domain of the work that the author is doing and may not necessarily extend to the 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 links between that work and the substrate that that allows it to exist and allows it to be created so um anyways other options for doing abstraction or other aspects of doing abstraction one of the things from that max msp sort of example of subpatchers that i do really like is that idea of having a little portal into your abstraction where you can show some ui through that and so that um that makes me think that i want there to be a way to let's say grab a little part of your program some nodes and some edges and to kind of let's say fold that into a pocket dimension let's say we're doing that pocket dimension thing we've got you know we have virtual edges available if we need to be able to smoothly continuously travel in and out of these pocket dimensions and so that may look like, okay, I'm going to grab all of this stuff and we're going to fold it into a little box and that little box has that code living inside of it. And if I need to, I can flow into that box and flow back out of that box. But, you know, when I don't care about what's going on in that box, maybe it's obscured somehow. Maybe it's made very small. Maybe it's made to look like something else. And then only when I go and crack it open, do I actually see it depicted as it is coded. And so maybe it looks like some kind of a user interface element, right? Because if we're going to be building user interfaces at some point, we're going to be needing to be able to drive the properties of graphics that, that, that can be depicted visually for the programmer. So uh, any, any visual affordances that the programmer is using, like, hey, what does a point look like? Or what does an edge that is conveying a, a value point along to a function point uh, what do those look like those should not be visible to the end user necessarily and the end user may want to see things that aren't relevant to the programming model and so those things that aren't relevant to the programming model will still need to be hooked up to the programming model and so there's going to be this divide between the things that the programmer sees and the things that the end user sees and so there's definitely going to need to be some way to have the data arrive at a graphic or at a, at a, a little graphical symbol that represents a sound or at a, you know, at a, 
Or there might need to be a way to have a value point that is a huge blob of JSON, let's say. And at some point, you may want to explode that JSON open to actually work with the contents of it. And so this this is where, um, and, and that JSON example, I think, is especially interesting, that pretty much all of the ideas that I've come up with for how to handle abstraction have involved the ability to um, take something in the Hest canvas and to open it up. And when you open it up, you see what is inside of it. And then when you close it again, you no longer need to see the things that are inside of it. And so when I imagine this, I imagine it like if you have a, a kid sliding down the water slide, you have a, you know, a data point that is traveling along an edge, you zoom in on that data point, you know, the camera pulls in closer and closer and that data point, which is, you know, normally when you see it, it's just a little like four pixel by four pixel square or whatever, you get closer and closer. And it's sort of like, you know, the spaceship flying closer and closer to the distant moon, you know, that's no moon. Um, and when you arrive there, you know, the details sort of now that the thing is much larger in view, uh, the, the details of it are uh, visible um, because they are large enough to be depicted on screen. And when you're far away, you know, it's not that they're hidden. You just can't see them because they're too small. And so you get up close and then there would be you know, whatever depiction of the internals that uh, whoever built those internals wants to show you. And so if, you know, if, if that's the way that I go, then one of my jobs, uh, one, one of the things that I need to do when building Hest is come up with really nice ways to represent the data that are in these data points. So that would be, you know, you zoom in on a, on a numeric point, um, and that might not require like a continuous spaceship style. Let's zoom in the whole screen on that point. It might be nice to just be able to select it and have a little side view that is like, you know, here's your close up view, you know, like you're playing a real time strategy game and you click on a unit and you don't zoom in all the way to that unit to see, you know, their little quip that they say when you select them, there's just a little character portrait at the bottom of your screen next to the controls for that unit. And they say, what do you want? And so, so, you know, you select a data point and off in the in the side, there's a close up view of it and it exposes the controls that that data type um, is is designed to expose because it's just an instance of the abstraction for that data type. Um, and so that might be, a, you know, a slider for a number or if it's JSON, it might be, you know, some some way of editing the contents of that JSON, a text editor or something like that, though I am I am very, very reluctant to put anything resembling a traditional text editor inside Hest because <laughs> uh, that is my that is my bugbear those are my those are my demons um and and so uh, when you are creating a, an abstraction you're gonna want a way to make a nice interface for an outside consumer to be able to use you're gonna want a way to do that and thank goodness uh hest is being built as a graphics tool it's being built assuming that you're doing graphical programming. You're not doing visual programming. So you're going to want to lay out your edges that the code data points uh, flow along very precisely and, and with nice tools. Like you're going to want to have four points that are all traveling parallel to one another, go around a corner together, and you're going to want their collective corner radii to be pretty. You're going to want to... Um, be able to grab one of those edges and move it away from that 
and have the other edges behave in a sensible way where they don't leave a gross gap where they close that gap together. Um, but you're not going to want to, you know, have the system doing that layout so, so, so dynamically that it's rerouting things all over the place. And so you don't remember or you, or you don't find them where you expect because it decided to reroute some edge in some other path that's not the path that you intended. So there's going to be this, this sort of balance between uh, things that you are explicitly creating for how things should look, you know, things like I want a button here and I want a slider there. And in fact, when I have a slider, I want the, you know, the thumb to look like this and I want the track to look like that. And I want to, uh, you know, be able to recolor it this way or that way, but then also some amount of, of dynamism that um, maybe you're creating yourself or you know is is part of what the the stock toolkit for hest uh gives you so there's there's a lot a lot a lot a lot to building an abstraction mechanism within hest that supports this model of participatory execution it's a huge subject i haven't even properly done it justice in this sort of long ranty summary but it's the sort of thing where i am working towards it first of all by enriching the graphics primitives within hest like i said i'm wanting it to be 3d um so that i can do things like have a you know have a have a really really robust sense of spatial relationships and you can do a really robust sense of spatial relationships with zooming in and zooming out in 2d but you can't do something where it's like i want to pull this thing to the foreground and push those things to the background and have it truly feel like spatial relationships where they're in the background you know something is in the background something in the foreground and you're continuously moving between them uh, you can you can fake that in 2d i mean there's a you know there's this entire art form called painting where they do a really good job of that um, but you you know to 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 do it nicely on a computer having a 3d uh, model for space is is very helpful and so that's the direction i'm taking this and, and so once I have those graphic primitives in place, I can start to play with things like arbitrary camera positions and arbitrary object uh, spatial relationships um, and uh, some amount of that being dynamic, like the virtual edges. And then it's just a matter of, of building out the tools so that you can, you know, if you want to make a slider, it's, you know, you draw it in 2D or you model it in 3D, either within Hest with the limited graphics tools that we'll have, because I'm not... Um, I'm not kidding myself. I'm not going to build an Autodesk caliber 3D animation tool. I am one person. I have a limited amount of time that I can work on this. I am already biting off way more than I can chew. Um, so, you know, shortcut to that is support import. So it will be you import whatever thing you want to have if if the drawing tools within Hester are not robust enough. And then you can wire it up and and hook it up and have have uh, have it participate in the code or participate as the media that the code is driving and and manipulating as the as the state the visual world that whoever is using your program is going to be interacting with driven by the visual world of the code that that lives behind it so so that's that's a first little taste of of what i'm thinking about for abstraction so we'll get more into that in future episodes <laughs>